Good morning, Grace. We got talkers this morning. I love it. So my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. Jack's on vacation. And uh, I get to preach about persecution. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate that one. Um, and I realized after we, we sang those songs that there's a heaviness to the whole, whole service. So what I want to do here is remember the, the scripture memory we're learning together that has all the actions and Jack would do like this, this fun motions. Okay, so we're going to try this. Would you, yeah, let's put the scripture up there and let's read this together. I'm going to try to remember the actions. I did not practice this thing, so we'll see how it goes. First service, it went kind of okay. <laughs> okay. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. And then he did the little butterfly thing. <laughs> the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Okay, and then, yeah, not, not bad, not bad. Thank you, I'm going to rely on you to, to help me out here. So we got a new one, the precepts, and hopefully I'm remembering the way we decided to do this. The precepts of the Lord are right. Making the heart, everybody does this nowadays, making the heart glad. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. And then next week we'll learn, I'm going to maybe rope Will into it next week, I don't know Oh, yeah, it's a thumbs up this time. Last time I said, you want to do this next week? He's like, what? <laughs> the command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. We'll, we'll add the actions to that next week. So let's try this together. I'm going to attempt to not look at the screen. I had to last, last service, but we can try. Okay. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making, well, I already lost it, making the inexperienced wise, not me wise apparently. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. Good job, everybody. Okay. <laughs> we value scripture. Our number one core value is upholding biblical integrity. This year we're in this habit of, well, all the time, but we're focusing on the habit of being in God's Word, and so that's one of the reasons we wanted to memorize Scripture together. Obviously in that it, it shows the value of God's Word in our heart. Okay, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anybody have this or heard of this? Raise your hands. Some of them. Yes, Book of Martyrs. We rejoice at that. Yes. <clears throat> so I want to read just a little bit from this. Okay, the first martyr... Stephen. His death was occasioned by the faithful manner in which he preached the gospel to the betrayers and murderers of Christ. To such a degree of madness were they excited that they cast him out of the city and stoned him to death. James, the next martyr that we see uh, according to Luke in the book of Acts was James, the son of Zebedee, the elder brother of John and a relative of the Lord. As James was led to the place of martyrdom, his accuser was brought to repent of his conduct by the apostle's extraordinary courage and undauntedness and fell down at his feet to request his pardon, professing himself a Christian Wow, and resolving that James should not receive the crown of martyrdom alone. Hence, they were both beheaded at the same time. Thus did the first apostolic martyr cheerfully and resolutely receive the cup which he had told our Savior he was ready to drink. Philip labored diligently, suffered martyrdom 
in Phrygia. He was scourged, scourged, I'm not pronouncing that right, thrown into prison and afterwards crucified. Matthew, tax collector, the scene of his labors was Parthia and Ethiopia in which uh, he suffered martyrdom, being slain with a halberd in the city. Uh, and somebody, I didn't know what a halberd was, but it's a spear like with an axe on the end of it. Somebody who plays uh, Legends of Zelda knew what that was. So that was helpful. I, I didn't know, I was just reading. <laughs> James, the other, the brother of our Lord. He was elected to the oversight of the churches of Jerusalem and was author of the epistle ascribed to James. At the age of 94, he was beat and stoned by the Jews, finally had his brains dashed out with a fuller's club. Sorry, this is not PG. Matthias, we don't know a whole lot about. He was the disciple that replaced Judas. He was stoned at Jerusalem and then beheaded. Andrew, brother of Peter, he preached the gospel in many nations. On his arrival at Edessa, he was taken and crucified on a cross. Mark was dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria, uh, ending his life under their merciless hands. Peter was condemned to death and crucified. Um, an early writer, Jerome, said that he was crucified, his head being down and his feet upward because he had requested not to be crucified the same way as Jesus was. He felt himself unworthy to suffer the same death. Paul after his great travail and unspeakable labors and promoting the gospel of Christ, he suffered. Soldiers came and led him out of the city to the place of execution where he, after his prayers, uh, gave his neck to the sword. Jude, brother James, was crucified at Edessa. Bartholomew preached in several countries. He was at length cruelly beaten and then crucified by the impatient idolaters. Thomas also called Didymus, preached the gospel in India, where, exciting the rage of the pagan priest, he was martyred by being thrust through with a spear. Luke traveled with Paul through various countries and is supposed to have been hanged on an olive tree. I had no idea on that one. Simon the Zealot preached in Africa, in which he was later crucified in that country, or in that continent. John, the beloved disciple, was the only apostle that escaped a martyr's death. Yeah, that was a fun intro, wasn't it? So, uh, the word martyr comes from a Greek word which basically just means witness. But we know it now as those who have laid down their life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure that none of us in here, obviously we're still alive, none of us had faced that kind of persecution. Life as a Christian in America used to be the norm, and it's been somewhat easy. We're seeing increasing persecution, aren't we? I often hear grandparents right here within our congregation that are worried about their grandchildren's lives and how hard it will be uh, to follow Christ. Yeah, I think it's extremely unlikely that any of us will face the same extent of persecution that the early apostles did, but we know that, that persecution is increasing. But we need to remember the perspective that the Bible gives us when it comes to persecution. And here's the scripture that we're focusing on this morning. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. 
For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I am truly blessed when I'm persecuted. As Jack shared earlier on when we started the Beatitudes, there's definitely a paradoxical element to this. Not too many of us think of the blessed life as the persecuted life, right? Definitely not our country's thought on what the blessed life looks like. No one naturally thinks that persecuted life is a blessed life, but that's what our Lord Jesus said. Today we're going to unpack the idea a little bit uh, of persecution, why we should rejoice in it, and the good company that we share in our persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Righteous. It's an interesting term. So in my research, in the, like around the 1500s, it was used to describe someone who was genuine or honest. And then there came like somewhere around the 1930s where righteous became excellent or cool. Does anybody use the word righteous? Like, That's righteous? I'm thinking of uh, Finding Nemo where the turtle's like, righteous, righteous, and he's right in the wave. Does anybody use righteous that way anymore? No, apparently not. So righteousness here, uh, the idea is being upright. It's rightness of character. Now we all know that none of us is perfect. We all know we fall short and we need the forgiveness of Jesus, his blood that we sing about to cover us and provide us forgiveness and his righteousness now applied to us. But we're also works in progress, right? God gives us the Holy Spirit when we trust him for our salvation and the Holy Spirit bears fruit through us, fruit of righteousness that brings glory to God. We're changed. I love some of the transformation stories here at Grace. There's people that didn't grow up in the church, and they started having a family, and then they met Jesus, and their lives are significantly different. And the old friends that, that they had, they tried to have the interactions with, and they don't like them anymore. The old friends don't like the families that are here because they stopped partying with them. They're not getting drunk with them anymore. They don't cuss all the time in their speech anymore. The sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives, which is just a fancy way of saying becoming more Christ-like, Holy Spirit's work in us, it's a cause for persecution. So most of you probably know the name Tim Tebow. I'm from Nebraska, so I'm a Husker fan, but I did jump on the Florida bandwagon when he was there because I really liked him, and then I even jumped on the Denver Broncos bandwagon for a little bit while he was there. Uh, I love the witness that he is. In fact, no, I didn't tell Mary I was going to bring this up, but now it's changed. But if I die, I told her that he was an okay substitute to get married to. That was like her go-to if I pass away from some tragic accident. <laughs> but I think that he married like some Miss Universe type gal now, so sorry. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be together for a long time. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of respect for Tim. Uh, he was very outspoken about Jesus. He still is very outspoken about Jesus, but he used the, the stage that he was given uh, to bless the name of Jesus. And the media like really tried hard to find the dirt. You could tell like the, the very liberal media was just wanted to find where can, this guy's surely not what he seems to be and wanted to find that hidden secret in the closet. And it seems like they never could find him. They got very frustrated with him. Um, I loved that. I was rooting for him. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, listen up, all who want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. 
Everyone who wants to live a godly life, a life that bears the fruit of the Spirit, will be persecuted. This is a promise of Scripture. But you don't see it on, you know, the, the posters that they make that have all the promises, all the good, fun promises. I don't think I've ever seen this promise in Scripture hanging on like a wall picture or anything. I'm not sure that I've ever seen the, the meme. Somebody, maybe somebody's going to do it now. Grab the phone and put that Scripture on there. Promise of God that we will face persecution. Do you want to live a godly life? Do you want to honor Christ as Lord in your life? Now, I have to do a quick side note because there are preachers out there and there's teachings out there that say if you follow God, everything's going to be great. You'll be prosperous. You'll be successful. You won't have any troubles. Following Christ clearly doesn't mean an easy life. But if you're listening to a preacher or teacher that's telling you all of your troubles are going to be gone, please stop listening to that preacher. Okay? I just wanted to get that out there. Yes, God rescues from persecution. Yes, God heals God also promises persecution. Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If we are truly living godly lives among those who don't love God, I believe we will experience persecution. Now, I want to look at some other ways that we are persecuted. In verse 11, Jesus says, we are blessed when we are persecuted because of him. Or another version says, on account of him. Having a righteousness from walking with the Spirit can bring persecution. Also, simply being associated with Jesus can bring persecution. We're persecuted on account of Jesus. So, and let's, let us not forget, I, th- I think we totally forget this, I do sometimes. The word Christian, like originally it wasn't a, wasn't a happy term. In the book of Acts, that's where we first see it in Antioch. And it was, it was like a put down. <laughs> it was not... It was a very derogatory term at first when it came out. We forget that. For many generations in America, it, it hasn't been a derogatory term. It's been fairly easy. It's getting worse. It's becoming a little more negative. I want to be known as a Christ follower. I don't care if that brings me persecution. I love my Savior more than anything, more than anyone. He's my hope, my joy, my life, my purpose, my everything, my all. I absolutely want to be known as a Christ follower. So my family and I, we were at Life Change Camp this past week along with some friends leading worship and a bunch of students, probably some students were there. Raise your hand real quick if you were at Life Change Camp. I know there's more than that, right? Maybe there was not more than that. It was fun. Uh, the theme was salt and light. So our, our worship was like, that's when you get all the actions and all the upbeat. It was a little different than our heavy, I'm going to say heavy worship this morning. Lots of heavy truth in there. Uh, but... The theme was salt and light, and Daniel Yoder, I had never met him before, but he's been speaking there for many years, uh, and he was challenging the students. And he brought some questions to them. He said, I really challenge you to, to answer honestly. And he said, raise your hand if you're known for being athletic. And some hands went up. Raise your hand if you're known for being musical. And some different hands went up. And raise your hand if you're known for being smart. Some different hands went up. Got, got some participation this morning. And raise your hands if you're known for being a Christian at your school. And, and sadly, there was less hands there than there were on the other ones. I wonder in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, wherever we're at, are we known for being Christians? Are we known for wearing the name of Jesus? I want to suggest that one of the reasons we face less persecution these days because we aren't that passionate 
about Jesus and the gospel. There's a lot of lukewarm faith and complacency in our nation, and I'm not immune to that. I have wrestled with complacency, and I still do, and I'm asking God for more zeal and passion, and I'm surrounding myself with people that just encourage me to live my life all for his glory. In Acts 20, Paul gives what I like to call his purpose statement. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That has been a, a memory verse that I've, I've loved and latched onto. But when we think about the context, I forgot about the context. But right, So right before this, Paul is describing uh, in that he's wherever he goes, he is committed to preaching the gospel, whether to Jews or Gentiles. And here's what we read in verse 22 and 23. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul is committed to sharing the gospel, and he also knows that every single place he goes, he will be persecuted. He is going to face hardships for wearing the name of Jesus, for preaching the name of Jesus. When we live on mission and preach Jesus crucified for our salvation, I believe we will be persecuted. And perhaps one of the reasons you and I don't experience that much persecution is we're not that bold. We're not living on mission. We get caught up in the American dream and living the life that's laid before us. Maybe we're not being bold with the gospel. And, and no doubt, I think some of this persecution is tied to spiritual warfare. So Satan is not concerned about people who aren't really sharing their faith, right? Our enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And for those that are on mission, preaching the name of Jesus everywhere and anywhere, I have no doubt that he will bring spiritual warfare and he'll bring persecution through people that don't love Jesus. In my years of, of doing a Christian rock band, I distinctly remember uh, a county fair somewhere in Nebraska. I don't remember where it was, but I just remember the concert because there was a guy a little ways through who just started yelling just to get that Jesus music out of here, and it was way more colorful than that. <laughs> um, yeah, he, there was just a hatred in him, and I'm thankful that there was other people there that didn't agree with him. The cops ended up ushering him out, but I remember that really feeling like an experience of persecution. Verse 11 says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you. How many of you have ever felt like you've been insulted for the name of Jesus? Some. How many of you have had evil things said about you that weren't true because of your association with Jesus? In my college days, I was known for being a Christian. I was inviting people to Christian student fellowship and I was praying in the cafeteria before meals. And keep in mind, I went to the University of Nebraska at Kearney, secular school. The whole thing goes that you can't spell drunk without UNK. Also, you can't spell flunk without UNK. Um, my roommate and I, we started a prayer group on our floor uh, in our dorm. And somehow, somebody found out that we were praying for them. And they found us and said, I'm really angry that you're praying for us. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that one either. And I think they were a little more colorful when the way they expressed that to us. Uh, persecution is, is interesting. 
Uh, my college days were also the first time that I really felt a false accusation. Uh, again, my roommate, which is, he was such a godsend, that was a whole God ordeal arranged thing. Um, we were accused of passing around a petition so that an openly gay guy couldn't come and be in our dorm. Now, they probably knew what our stance was on homosexuality, but for the record, there was no petition going out, getting people's signatures. Uh, there was not conversations trying to get that guy to not move in. Uh, the first time I actually heard about it was from a campus minister from a, a Lutheran ministry that I wasn't real familiar with, but he came to us inquiring about the petition, and that was the first time we heard about it. We didn't know anything about it. And all I can think of is that somebody didn't like that we stood for Jesus and falsely came up with something and just started spreading it. As our country becomes more hostile towards Christianity, we're finding that anyone who claims to follow Christ is now being labeled a bigot or homophobe. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be known for our love. Yes, Scripture is clear on what is sin, and again, our core value, the first core value, upholding biblical integrity. We know that God created man and woman, that marriage is meant to be between man and woman, that he created male and female. Um, we know that acting upon homosexual thoughts is a sin, just like we know that sex outside of marriage is a sin. We know these things. Man, I wish the church was known first and foremost for its love. I wish that we were known for love God, love people, lead others to do the same, and not just what we're against. Christ was radical in the way he loved people. He was with the sinners. He loved on them. He didn't endorse them. He said, go and sin no more. But he loved on them. He was known for the way that he loved them. That's what I want for a church. Not that we're endorsing things that we know God calls sin, but they, we would be known for our love. As we see more and more labels on Christians and society lumping up into these generalizations, let us be known for loving God and loving people. Let the false accusations and the labels come and let them see our love for them and our love for Jesus. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad. <laughs> it's just, like, I can't imagine the first time reading that. Rejoice and be glad. Did you know that this is the only beatitude that comes with a command? You can look through the others. This is the one that says rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted. This kind of rejoicing is supernatural. This is the Holy Spirit's work inside us to rejoice because of suffering. I love the picture in Acts 5. It's the apostles rejoicing in persecution. So they get thrown in jail for preaching about Jesus. They're told not to. And uh, the, an angel frees them. And they're able to go back into the city and continue preaching the name of Jesus. And then the officials get them and bring them, uh, bring them forth before the council. And the council says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Then in verse 40 and 41, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced because they were considered worthy to share in that suffering. I can, just, I can picture, and they're beaten. I don't know how badly they're beaten, but I picture running, skipping, like, woohoo, 
we just got beaten because we wear the name of Jesus. I love that picture. So how are Christians able to rejoice in suffering? Definitely the Holy Spirit's work, right? To give us that perspective. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. I think we need reminders that while we're citizens of the United States, that does not compare to our eternal citizenship in heaven. It doesn't even come close, and I think we forget that. As we sang earlier, mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way, one with Christ, I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. We must have perspective in our persecution. For in our persecution, there is a reward. The text says your reward is great. And what is it, our reward? Ultimately, I think our reward is Christ. Just like the song sang, come rejoice. For his love is my reward. Fear is gone. Hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. And mine are keys to Zion City. That's heaven. Where beside the king I walk. For there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. By the way, I think that's one of the best hymns ever written. It's a modern hymn, but I think that's the best hymn. One of the best. The best thing about heaven is Christ. And yes, I've done plenty of funerals, and I know that being reunited with loved ones is great, but in comparison to seeing Jesus and giving him a hug, man, being with Jesus, that's the joy. That's the glory of heaven. He's my reward. We're blessed when we are persecuted for ours of the kingdom of heaven. So this is stated in the present tense. Kingdom is the rule or reign of God and Jesus the king and so is the expression of his gracious, sovereign will. To belong to the kingdom of heaven is to belong to the king as subjects with other men and women, among whom the reign of Christ has begun, and who are eagerly awaiting his return and establishment of his literal earthly kingdom. This is that idea that the kingdom of heaven is both now and not yet. For those of us that are in Christ, we are already in the kingdom of heaven. And still we wait for the fullness of the kingdom upon Christ's return. 1 Peter 4, 12-16 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Here again, we see we should not be surprised if we face persecution, but should even expect it. We should rejoice in sharing Christ's sufferings because we know that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us you will have much reason to rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Let us glorify God when we suffer for being Christians. Now, it should go without saying, but just in case, 
That last scripture said, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. So suffering for doing wrong as a Christian is not persecution. We got that? That's not persecution. In fact, we shouldn't suffer for those things because the Holy Spirit should be producing fruit in us, producing godliness and righteousness, not the flesh, not the sin. Persecution, even martyrdom, has been the cost of discipleship for Christians down through the centuries. In many lands, believers still suffer imprisonment and death for their uncompromising devotion to their Savior. Even in nations where there's religious freedom, like here, a person with a bold witness for the Lord may experience lots of ridicule. When we experience hardship because of our Christian commitment, probably no verse in Scripture is more comforting than what we're looking at right now. I found this out. This was interesting. Many of you probably know the name Charles Spurgeon. Uh, at one point, he was so intensely criticized that he became deeply depressed. And so his wife put the Beatitudes, obviously including this one, up on, on their ceiling in their bedroom. So every morning that he woke up, and then every evening that he went back to bed, he saw these promises. We are blessed when we are persecuted for ours as the kingdom of heaven and our reward in heaven is great. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we are persecuted, we are in great company. The Old Testament prophets were persecuted. Jeremiah was thrown into an empty cistern with a, a muddy bottom and uh, the floor, that is. Elijah was called the trouble of Israel by King Ahab, and Jezebel threatened his life, and he had to flee. And at one point, he felt so much despair from the persecution that he said, God, let me die. Let me be done. Tradition has it, this was new, I didn't know this. Tradition has it that the prophet Isaiah suffered martyrdom by being sawn in two by King Manasseh. Let us not forget the persecution of Elisha, who was jeered by many young men for being bald. It's very important that we don't forget that one. <laughs> Making fun of bald men is very serious. Watch out for bears. So, it's funny. I love using that story because it's funny, but honestly, if you look at it a little closer, obviously the persecution wasn't just for being bald, but they go on up. So Elijah had gone before him in the chariot on up, and there was much ridicule about who he was following and the shoes he was filling. It's not just about being bald, but that's really fun, so I always bring that up. There's more to that story. We'll just keep it there. I think if we were to rephrase the scripture, though, we might say, for so they persecuted the prophets and Jesus and the apostles and the church for the last 2,000 years. Now we have more examples to follow on persecution. At that time, obviously, they just pointed back to the Old Testament. But now we have 2,000 years of history. And of course, our greatest example, Jesus. 1 Peter 2, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus suffered unjustly, leaving us an example that we should follow. He was innocent, and yet he suffered. We sang Man of Sorrows this morning. A lot of that is taken from Isaiah 53. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, scorned. And then as I opened this at the beginning, 
This actually, if you're interested, this traces all the way through the rest of history. I don't know when it came out, so not the, the most modern history, but this traces through 2,000 years of martyrdom and persecution on the church. Uh, another great resource, like if you want to learn about how the church is being persecuted, Voice of the Martyrs uh, is a great resource, and expose your family to that, especially if you've got young kids, to remind us that it's different here, and that's what not. Not most people are experiencing the same thing we are. So I want to close with this challenge that we should share in Christ's sufferings. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Paul calls Timothy, and I think us as well, to suffer with him for the gospel. The good news that Jesus abolished death and brought eternal life through his saving work. So I would even challenge us to develop a hunger for sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I know that's, that sounds weird. So my favorite verse, if you were to ask me, I would say Philippians 3.8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. I consider it trash, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Interestingly, right after that, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Another version says, or the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul wants to know the fellowship of suffering, sharing those sufferings. He wants to participate in that persecution. I'm guessing most of us aren't there. I'm, I'm not there. But I do, I want to I be there. I want to be in a place where I would gladly welcome and consider it great joy that I'd be persecuted for wearing the name of Jesus. What if, what if we gladly bore the shame and reproach of the cross? What if we anticipated that and even prayed for that? Jesus said we're truly blessed in persecution. I want to be truly blessed. I want to be at a place where I can join Paul and say that I want to share in Christ's sufferings. I want to be like the apostles after being beaten and rejoicing that I was considered worthy to share in Christ's sufferings. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's true. All of it's true. All your promises are true. Some of it's not as fun to preach. And we just acknowledge the heaviness. God, we are comfortable in our environment with uh, not a lot of persecution, but we know it's growing. I pray you would change our hearts, that we would welcome it, that we would rejoice when we're suffering for the name of Jesus, that we would rejoice uh, when we're insulted for righteousness' sake. And God, you would even change our hearts so that we would want to share in the sufferings of Jesus, just like Paul said. 
thank you for teaching us. Thank you for challenging me. Thank you for challenging our hearts. I pray you'd be glorified, and thanks for a great opportunity to share truth. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? I want to send us out with a familiar sending. We've been motivated by the love God has shown us in Christ. We have been united in our worship of the living God together. We've been encouraged by our fellowship with one another. And Lord willing, we've been equipped by the preaching of his word. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that you do, love God boldly. And whatever neighborhood, workplace, or school God has placed you, love people sacrificially. And in whatever stage of life you find yourself, look for ways to faithfully lead others to do the same. You're the church. That's me included. We're the church. Let's go be the church. Grace, we are sent.